A trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me as we revel in wrong think. A shout out to our audience listening to us on K Talk 1640 in Salt Lake City. Also, want to say hello to our listeners on KDXU in St. George. Good to have my voice back on the airwaves, even if it's in the week on the weekends in my old stomping grounds. And of course, for those listening on the various networks that carry us, the Loving Liberty Radio Network, uh, Liberty News Radio, uh, the Missouri Liberty Network, uh, Fed by Ravens Media Network, uh, TalkStream Live. Sorry, one of these days the list is going to be so long, I'm literally going to spend the first segment of the show, all 10 minutes, just listing off all the great people, but or all the great networks, rather. I want to thank the great people, though, like you, who are also doing the indispensable work of letting other people know about this show, whether it's the live broadcast or whether it's the podcast. It means the world to me. When you share this with other people and and it's it's you may think that, uh, oh, well, you know, I have such a small circle of influence. How is this going to possibly matter? You never know. You just don't know how far those ripples will go when you throw a pebble in the pond. And uh, I'm not suggesting that this is a program that has all the answers that the world needs. But I will stick my neck out and say, I think we're providing something here that you're just not going to find in other places. Hopefully unsensationalized, principle-based discussion and and information that leaves you better empowered to figure out what the world really is, to see it as it really is, and then to move forward and, and to claim your rights, to claim them, to use them, defend them, and perpetuate those things that are best. Because that is my goal each and every time I crack this microphone open. So... On tap today, here are just a few of the things we're going to be covering. I'm going to talk about masks, and and I'm I'm kind of hesitant to do this just because I I want to get something off my chest. And and, and I I have to be careful because I I don't want to implicate anybody or get anybody else in trouble. But uh, I'm just going to come right out and tell you I am incensed at how um, health officials in my home state of Utah are using coercion and, 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 and using... Different levels, you know, they're, they're, they're not the ones, they, they won't go out there and enforce it themselves. They use this backdoor approach. And the latest tactic that I've been introduced to is they are sending out, um, I don't know what you would call it. They're sending out representatives from the health department to go around to various businesses and to monitor. Are the employees properly wearing their face coverings as mandated by the governor? <laughs> Okay, that's one thing, but here's where it really gets hinky, and this is the part that absolutely makes me furious. They're also sending people in without a mask into businesses and then trying to see, is that business going to say something? Are they going to remind them, you know, we're under a a statewide mask mandate? If you fail to do so, so I have been told, that business can be fined. 
Now, I heard that I heard the amount of ten thousand dollars bandied about. I know that was the fine they were talking about for people who organized, you know, above the number allowed gatherings. But do you get what I'm describing to you here? Essentially, the state of Utah, not its lawmakers, but just the Department of Health is using businesses as muscle to enforce this mandate. And the businesses, as I understand it, are doing it. Well, we have to do it or else we're going to get fined $10,000. If our employees aren't wearing the masks, they're going to fine us. If our employees aren't reminding the customers that they're supposed to be masked, we could get fined as well. And on top of it, the health department apparently is sending out people to test and see and to uh, to ensure that there is compliance going on here. Now, look, they do stings like this all the time with trying to sell, uh, you know, trying to get people to sell alcohol or tobacco to underage buyers. And this is particularly true in retail establishments that sell these things. Um, the state will, in conjunction with law enforcement, go around and, and send in somebody and just, you know, see. Are they going to be carded? Are they going to be asked? Is somebody going to turn them away? If they, if they make it look like they're trying to buy alcohol for a group of kids out there standing in the parking lot, you know, is someone going to say something? And apparently this is a sting that goes on on a fairly regular basis. By the way, I'm not opposed to keeping alcohol for minors, but I, I'm really opposed to creating crimes where there were none before. But that's what this feels like. And I'm absolutely against the idea that, uh, you know, an employee should suddenly be dragooned into becoming an enforcer of of these mask mandates. Now, the way it was explained to me was it's not that the, the employee is being told, you know, if somebody comes in without a mask, you're to kick them out of the business. You trespass them out of there. That's not what they're saying. But you have to remind them. And apparently, if you don't remind them, we are under a statewide mask mandate then uh, you are subject to getting pinged by the state, or at least your employer is subject to getting pinged by the state for a pretty hefty fine. Okay, I'll take my lumps here. Let let me open up the lines. 801-331-8113. Am I wrong in seeing this as a total misuse of state power? Because I'll tell you right now, I don't work for the state of Utah. I will not be deputized to work for the state of Utah and to become one of its de facto enforcers, even if they give me a cool sash and, you know, the crossing guard style sash like we had back in grade school. I'm not going to be a glorified hall monitor. I'm not your mother. It's not my place to tell you you should go put on your mask. Now, I can tell you from what I have observed with my own eyes, I'm guessing that uh, compliance with Wearing masks, at least, uh, you know, in, in public, I'm guessing I'm seeing probably upwards of 80 percent, probably closer to 90 percent compliance. It's rare to see somebody who isn't wearing a mask and those who aren't wearing the masks typically are not doing so. You know, they're not being belligerent or anything like that. But where does the state get its authority, moral or otherwise, to go in and threaten businesses. We're going to pull your license or we're going to fine you if you don't 
enforce this mandate that we're putting on. And, and I'm going to share with you in just a minute an article that, that illustrates why this. I think this is less about health and it's more about we need to make sure that everybody is wearing their visible badge of compliance with the official narrative. I've got a lot to say about this official narrative. Jeffrey Tucker on Twitter earlier today pointed out how the New York Times posted up some new graphs and it was showing you, you know, these states like South Dakota, where Governor Christine Nome hasn't put in mask mandates, hasn't required social distancing, hasn't closed down or locked down the state. And you look at the graph and it's like, holy cow, look at the number of covid cases compared to those relatively low numbers in California and New York and and other states like that. Until you realize, oh, there's a little statistical trickery here. Some would call it lying, but we'll we'll be generous and call it statistical uh, trickery. Yeah, you were showing covid cases on a per capita basis. And suddenly, wow, look how terrible that is. What does it tell you when authorities have to resort to cooking the figures to make it look? And just at a glance, you look at it and it's like, holy cow, South Dakota really has a ton of cases. They're the worst place in the country. When in reality, their numbers are very, very low compared to New York or California. I'm a bit worked up about this. In fact, I'm ticked. I can't say the words that popped into my head when I was told this is what the state of Utah is requiring of businesses. This is what employees are going to be required to do in, in the name of making people put on a mask or, or reminding them that they have to wear the mask. The threat being somebody's going to get dinged a whole bunch of money if the state sends one of its little spies in to, to check up on them. Well, on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about an eye-opening new Danish study that finds masks don't protect the wearers from infection. And I understand that is counter to the narrative. If you are fully, you know, wedded to the idea, but I wear these masks because I care about you and I'm protecting you. This is probably going to push against your comfort zone. Just understand, I'm not attacking you personally. I'm not even insisting that you have to agree. But I'm going to definitely share some information out here, which questions and in some cases may be caused to disregard that official narrative. That the wearing of these masks is what's keeping us healthy. It certainly isn't preventing the spread, right? 80, 90% compliance and the case numbers continue to go up. It's like this virus is some kind of a virus. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I'll crack the phone lines open here in just a little bit. I want to share with you a new article on the Foundation for Economic Education's website. This is from John Miltimore, and it is a new Danish study finds masks don't protect wearers from COVID infection. Now, I'm going to say before I share this, if you feel better wearing a mask, if you feel that it makes you safer, then by all means, you should wear one. If you feel like, hey, you know, I've had symptoms and I don't want to take the risk of spreading whatever I might have to somebody else, then by all means, wear it. I think it needs to be your choice. 
My thing is I am absolutely not on board with the idea that we should, uh, this is so important, we should be coercing people to do it because it's saving lives. Well, according to a newly released study in the academic journal Annals of Internal Medicine, there are some serious doubts being cast on policies that would force healthy individuals to wear face coverings. John Miltimore says few issues are more contentious in modern American life than mandatory mask orders. And the debate is about to get even more heated. A newly released study in the academic journal Annals of Internal Medicine casts more doubt on policies that force healthy individuals to wear face coverings in hopes of limiting the spread of COVID-19. The New York Times reports researchers in Denmark reported on Wednesday that surgical masks did not protect wearers against infection with the coronavirus in a large, randomized clinical trial. What's curious, by the way, is the New York Times headline talked about how this uh, this uh, research cast doubt on the wearing of masks. And they went back a short time later and edited the headline to say, but you should still wear one. Am I suggesting that perhaps there's an official narrative? Yes, that's that's exactly what I'm suggesting. And, and somebody yanked their chain and told them, heal, <laughs> fix that headline. Otherwise, people might start to question this. John Miltimore says the study is perhaps the best scientific evidence to date on the efficacy of masks. To conduct the study, which ran from early April to early June, scientists at the University of Copenhagen recruited more than 6,000 participants who tested ne- who had tested negative for COVID-19 immediately prior to the experiment. Half of the participants were given surgical masks and instructed to wear them outside the home. The other half were instructed not to wear a mask outside the home. Roughly 4,860 participants finished the experiment, the Times reports, and the uh, results were not encouraging. See, the researchers had hoped that masks would cut the infection rate by half among wearers. Instead, 42 people in the mask group, or 1.8%, got infected, compared with 53 in the unmasked group, or or 2.1%. In other words, the difference was not statistically significant. That's according to the New York Times. Dr. Henning Bungard, lead author of the experiment and a physician at the University of Copenhagen, told the newspaper the results of his research are clear. Bungard said, our study gives an indication of how much you gain from wearing a mask. Not a lot. Now, the Times notes that the research did not contradict growing evidence that masks can prevent transmission of the virus from the wearer to others, but adds that the study's findings are at odds with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which just last week endorsed the view that face coverings protect individuals from contracting the virus. Now, John Miltimore says two important things should be noted here, however. The Times is correct that the study did not contradict evidence that suggests masks can prevent sick people from transmitting the virus to others. But he reminds us the Danish study didn't test for this. As the paper notes, only healthy people were tested in the experiment. Second, there was never much dispute on whether sick sick people should wear a mask. From the beginning of the pandemic, public health officials agreed that infected people should wear a mask to reduce the likelihood of transmitting the virus to others. Dr. Anthony Fauci noted back in March on 60 Minutes, the masks are important for someone who is infected to prevent them from infecting someone else. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, he said, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a droplet, but it is not providing the perfect protection that people think it is. 
And often there are unintended consequences, like people keep fiddling with the mask and touching their face. Now, Fauci would later modify his position, saying he discouraged masks out of concern of a supply shortage. But he was not wrong that mask wearing comes with unintended consequences, such as people touching their faces a lot. And by the way, uh, John Miltimore includes in his article a very helpful video, which which shows exactly this. You can find that article linked in the show notes at the com. Miltimore goes on to say CDC Chief Robert Ray Redfield Jr. has gone further than Fauci in declaring in public testimony that this face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID than when I take a COVID vaccine. However, Redfield's assertion is not backed up with scientific evidence. As the authors of the Danish study point out, the World Health Organization acknowledges that we lack evidence that wearing a mask protects healthy persons from SARS-CoV-2. Interesting. Now, the results of the Danish study undermine the assertion from public health officials that wearing a surgical mask can protect individuals from COVID-19 infection. But John Miltimore says that's unlikely to end the mask debate, which has become one of the most vitriolic issues in America today. It's worth pointing out, however, that masks were not a divisive issue until governments began mandating their use. Miltimore says, as I've said before, reasonable and persuasive cases can be made both for and against the use of masks in the healthy population. But by replacing individual choice with collective mandates, public officials have politicized the issue and polluted the science. For example, scientists have faced retraction demands on research that concluded mask for all policies were not based on sound data. Additionally, the Danish study appears to have been delayed because medical journals were wary of its findings. He says few of us, even medical professionals it seems, are able to answer with any degree of certainty whether masks are an effective form of protection against the coronavirus. Some see this as a reason to force everyone to wear a mask. Yet in reality, the uncertainty is all the more reason the decision should be left to individuals. Economist Ludwig von Mises once observed, all rational action is individual action, is in the first place individual action. And he went on to say, only the individual thinks, only the individual reasons, only the individual acts. John Miltimore says public health officials should not be recommending a preventative measure, let alone mandating it without knowing it is effective. In public health, this is known as the principle of effectiveness. Governments forcing healthy people into mask wearing was always an affront to the rights we hold over our own bodies and our basic human dignity. And it's beginning to look more and more like an affront to science. So what do you think? I got a couple minutes here. 801-331-8113. Please understand, I'm not suggesting that if you feel like I don't want to wear the mask and therefore I have a duty to go out there and ridicule everybody who does, I'm going to suggest that there may be a more powerful way to make your message than going out there and engaging in rhetorical combat with people who are very polarized on this issue. We've all seen plenty of the issues of Karens yelling at people and sometimes physically assaulting them because the other person isn't wearing a mask. It doesn't become right if you're an anti-mask person and you're going after somebody with the mask. Why not adopt the approach of, look, live and let live. If you feel better wearing a mask, you go right ahead. But don't you dare presume 
that wearing that mask, that outward signal of compliance, somehow bestows on you a moral authority to go around berating or otherwise ordering other people about. Because it doesn't. It's not your prerogative. I don't want to make decisions for you and your health, and I damn well don't want you making them for me and my health. So as nicely as possible, can I just suggest, please, back off. <laughs> you do what you think is right. I will do what I, is, what I think is right. And if you feel like, well, but what you're doing is so risky, I have a very simple solution. Stay away from me. Six feet will do, but if you want to you know, stay further away, that's fine as well. Feels good to get this off my chest. Thank you for letting me share it with you. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. 801-331-8113 is the number. Let's go right to the phone. I've got Ian on the line with me from Springville. Hi, Ian. Hey, good afternoon, Brian. Appreciate your show. Thanks. Hey, uh, a couple things that occurred to me uh, as we're talking about this mask uh, whole debate is, you know, every time uh, there's some sort of outbreak of something, they always blame the people who don't do something. I remember years ago hearing a story about an outbreak of measles at Disneyland, and they automatically blamed the children that didn't have the measles vaccine. Right. No, I remember. And And the same thing is happening here. The problem is, is all about people who, who don't want to wear the mask. I feel like sometimes I should be walking around, you know, like uh, you remember in biblical times when someone had uh, leprosy, they had to walk around basically the little bell and, you know, ringing it and saying, unclean, unclean. Right. Feel like, right. And, and sometimes I almost feel like taking a mask and putting the bell on it and doing the same thing. I think there's people who would actually like to see that happen, too. Just, just so we can be clear, you are the unclean. <laughs> yeah, you know, just like because we're pronounced as unclean, even though there's no proof. And uh, yeah, again, you know, the research is showing that the mask offers minim- minimal effect uh, to get it, to getting it or giving it. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of like more of the uh, mob mentality uh, with the government narrative. Yeah, that's a great observation, and, and I don't disagree with you at all. I remember the measles outrage, and, well, if these kids aren't aren't uh, immunized, then it's going to put everybody else at risk. Well, well, then why are the other ones vaccinated? Why? You know, if, if, it, if it doesn't do any good. Yeah, it's basically whatever it is. I mean, polio is the same thing. Uh, whatever they're vaccinating for, if there's an outbreak, it's because of the people that didn't get the vaccine. An excellent point. Anything else? That's it for today. Okay. Thanks so much. Good to hear from you. Great. Have a great one. Thank you. Thank you. 801-331-8113. Uh, by the way, before I move on from John Miltimore's piece here, um, he posted a really great thing on Twitter. I just shared this. I don't know if you if you go on Twitter, you can you can follow me there. Um, but this is this is a chart showing that problems paying bills, rent or mortgage have impacted adults with lower incomes more than others since February. And and here's what Miltimore says. He says the people ordering these lockdowns are not the ones struggling to pay rent or pay bills. 
And he's got the chart here that shows data is showing that lower income Americans are by far the ones most squeezed. And the takeaway is that politicians need to stop depriving people from earning a living by clinging to the fiction that they can prevent or rather protect people from this virus. Look, I know it's a concern. And it's a concern for public officials as much as it is for private individuals. People are asking the question, and I think rightly so, how, is, how are so many people getting this virus right now? And what we're forgetting is it is a virus. It's, look, it's going to do what viruses do, and that is it will spread throughout the population. And we can do some things to, to mitigate the effect on those who are most vulnerable. But you don't lock down every single person. And you certainly don't treat it as if every single person who tests positive for COVID is somehow going to be, you know, taking up a respirator or taking up an ICU bed somewhere in some hospital. There's just a lot of deception in the way that the numbers are reported. There's a lot of sensationalism in the way that it's reported. And I'm skeptical. I might be wrong, but I'm skeptical because the people who are reporting it and the way that they're reporting it seem to have this common goal of, look, we just want you to do what we tell you to do. And I'm just enough of a skeptic that, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. You better have a good reason. You better be able to show your work if if you expect me to do what you are asking me to do. I don't respond well to people telling me what to do. You don't have moral authority to do so, for starters. All right, moving on. By the way, one of the good things that may be coming out of this uh, this lockdown mentality is um, these new COVID-19 shutdowns may be forcing a showdown in the Supreme Court. Anders Koskinen has a great piece on intellectualtakeout.com. I'll include it in today's show notes, which you can access at the com. But he says those suffering from endless COVID shutdowns may find a spark of hope in the words of Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito. While the governors of Minnesota, Michigan, Oregon, and other states were preparing new restrictions during the pandemic, Alito gave a speech to the Federalist Society calling such lockdowns previously unimaginable restrictions on individual liberty. He said, quote, I'm now going to say something that I hope will not be twisted or misunderstood. But I have spent more than 20 years in Washington, so I'm not overly optimistic. In any event, here goes. The pandemic has resulted in previously unimaginable restrictions on individual liberty. He said, all that I'm saying is this, and I think it is an indisputable statement of fact. We have never before seen restrictions as severe, extensive, and prolonged as those experienced for most of 2020. Think about access to the courts or the constitutional right to a speedy trial. Trials in federal courts have virtually disappeared in many places. Who could have imagined that? See, he made it clear he wasn't saying anything about the legality of COVID restrictions, but he's concerned about constitutional quandaries, including violations of rights that many Americans may not have considered when griping about the lockdowns. Things like freedom of religion, freedom of assembly and freedom of speech violations by panicked government decision makers and what Alito referred to as an elite group of appointed experts. Come on, these things are well documented. We've been talking about them here on this program for months But the plight of accused criminals who are denied their Sixth Amendment rights, that's an area that you're not hearing much about. And it should concern Americans on both the left and the right. 
So heading into the holidays, Anders Koskinen says many Americans will be prevented from spending time with their friends and family as the dark depths of winter settle onto America. The time when companionship is most needed, when family is most missed, is apparently a ripe time for the shutdowns to resume, followed closely by the joint specters of increased unemployment and rising depression rates. In Oregon, all social gatherings, both inside and outside, will be limited to no more than six people from November 18th through December 2nd. In Minnesota, restrictions return to no more than 10 people from no more than three different households, with State Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm urging residents to skip Thanksgiving gatherings altogether. Further restrictions remain likely in Governor Tom Waltz's state. Meanwhile, in Michigan, everyone who can work at home must do so, and Governor Gretchen Whitmer stated, medical experts across the country strongly recommend that we do not host Thanksgiving with people from outside our own households. Now, Justice Alito noted, in some cases, broad executive emergency powers, like those used by the aforementioned governors, might be necessary to respond to certain crises. But listen to this warning, that we must not allow such powers to be abused, nor allow them to be used at inappropriate times. Quote, all sorts of things can be called an emergency or disaster of major proportions. Simply slapping on that label cannot provide the ground for abrogating our most fundamental rights. And whenever fundamental rights are restricted, the Supreme Court and other courts cannot close their eyes. He seems to recognize a truth noted by Frank S. Meyer in his book, In Defense of Freedom, quote, There is in power an impulsion to more power, which can only be limited by countermeasures. The state will always tend to move beyond its natural bounds, and the men who hold its power will always attempt to gain more power, end quote. Anders Koskinen says, as Americans recover from a combative election and prepare for the holiday season, we would do well to reflect on the blessings of living in a country that has an independent spirit, that independent spirit that Dr. Fauci decries. And Anders Koskinen says we cannot allow it to fade out in the middle of a crisis. If we do so, it's unlikely we shall ever get it back in times of peace and plenty. Amen, bro. Now, when we come back the other side of our break, we're going to talk about a couple of uh, items. One of them is the uh, promise to forgive student loan debt. Boy, politicians love making promises, especially in an election year. And, and it's funny, you notice how many of their promises are to provide favors paid for with someone else's money? Well, in this case, the current promise to forgive student loan debt is a very bad idea. That's according to Neil McCluskey. We'll share his take on this. We're also going to talk about another bright spot, and that is that uh, in in California... This past election actually provided an opportunity for an awful lot of citizens to stand up and to uh, defend their rights and deny their state government the power that it wanted. This is particularly regarding what was it, AB5? Remember the bill that would take uh, essentially all independent contractors and treat them like employees? Well, the citizenry spoke out and they didn't just say no. They said, hell no, we're not going to do that. We'll be back in just a few moments.
is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Our show is brought to you by Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. I hope when you hear me talk about the show's sponsors that uh, you'll take a note of it and wherever possible that you will take your business to them. Now, if you're looking to stretch your grocery dollar just as far as it will go, I can think of no finer place to send you than Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. They're located right in the heart of Salt Lake City. And uh, for, for those who don't live along the Wasatch Front, I mean, if you're, if, if you're willing to make a bit of a drive, it would be worth your while. Otherwise, you're just going to have to hear me talk about it and think, man, I wish I was closer. But go to Facebook. Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse is what you're looking for. Um, Paul posts pictures all the time of all the different types of food that he gets in, fresh produce, frozen meats, frozen soups. Oh, my gosh, we stocked up on those last week. Um, it's soup weather. Maybe you've noticed. But these, uh, these are incredible bags of frozen soup. They're very, very easy to fix. They are delicious and uh, very reasonably priced. And they do accept EBT. They accept all major credit cards. The best part, everything comes with a money-back guarantee. Check them out on Facebook, Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. Okay, two quick items here in the time we have left. Wanted to share a few thoughts with you from Neil McCluskey. Massive student debt cancellation would just be wrong. Now, I know if you're sitting under about $100,000 worth of student debt, loan debt, you're like, oh, wait a minute, I want to I hear more. But uh, here's, here's the reason why. Neil McCluskey says Senator Charles Schumer was calling on President-elect Joe Biden uh, to enact massive federal student debt cancellation by executive fiat. And he says, with this happening, perhaps we need another reminder why such a policy would be terrible. He says, as I'm pressed for time with other projects, I'm going to make this short. First, a chart from the Urban Institute laying out who has most of the student debt. Hint, it's not low-income folks. And sure enough, in the highest quartile, it's, uh, they, they hold 34% of that student loan debt. The, the poorest students only hold 12%. Next, a reminder from Georgetown University's Center on Education and the Workforce that the average person with a bachelor's degree can expect to make around a million dollars more over their lifetime than someone with only a high school diploma. Oh, and a lot of debt is for graduate studies like law and medical school, which lead to even bigger lifetime bucks. And finally, he says, here's a host of links to on-campus pools and lazy rivers. What's the point of all this? Well, he says massive loan, cam- massive loan cancellation would primarily help well-off people and have taxpayers bear even more of the cost of education that for many students is also a kind of luxury cruising. I mean, the links that he has to some of these amenities that are you know, funded by those super high tuition rates, funded by these student loans, he says we'd be socializing costs for huge private profit which would not only be bad education policy, fostering even worse tuition inflation and empty credential demands, but he said it would be patently unjust. Interesting. You need to look at the charts. You should should really look at uh, the article and, and, and see what he's trying to point out here. 
What incentive is there to, to go to school and work hard and really learn something? If you know that someone's going to pull a string and just wave a wand and make your debt go away. Now, and, and to be accurate, it doesn't really go away. It just transfers from your shoulders to the taxpayers. Somebody has to pay that. Somebody, somebody did the work, the labor that's represented in the value that those dollars spent represent. It seems dishonest, and it is. But worse, it's the idea that, ah, sure, you can get something for nothing. But it's, it's, a, shameless, it's a shameless bit of pandering to try to shore up that student vote among politicians. Oh, no, they're, they're expecting something in return. Just your lifelong, you know, allegiance and willingness to submit to them. Talk about selling your soul in a buyer's market. Let's talk some good news. Rays of constitutional rights shine through in California. This is from Ronald Trowbridge, who says, I've lived in six U.S. states during my long lifetime, living for years on the East Coast, in the Midwest, and on the West Coast. He says, I moved to California two years ago and can testify that it is the most socialistic, government-controlled state in the country. Recently, though, numerous rays of constitutional rights have shown through. The constitutional rights to the privacy of contracts, the right to private property, and the right of all people against discrimination. And he says these rights were protected by the outcomes of three citizen, three citizen referendums, not by government. Let's start with the constitutional right to privacy of contracts. Article 1, Section 10 of the United States Constitution declares, No state shall enter into any law impairing the obligation of contracts. Contracts are mutually agreed upon private exchanges. When He says, when I agree with the contractor to pave my driveway, we exchange my money for his labor and materials. Well, in California, this issue came into focus with Assembly Bill 5 and Proposition 22. Rideshare drivers wanted to retain their individual freedom as independent contractors, but the state government tried to deny this freedom of contract between drivers and paying customers and mandate that drivers be treated as employees subject to state labor controls and union obligations. The Wall Street Journal reports that when a poll asked 1,000 on-demand drivers whether they would prefer to be full-time employees instead of contractors, only 15% of respondents said, yeah, I'd prefer full-time. Now, this is supposed to be a free country, but the state government doesn't see it that way. California voters, on the other hand, defended freedom by approving Proposition 22, which classifies app-based drivers as independent contractors instead of employees, thereby protecting the freedom of drivers to continue entering into voluntary contracting arrangements. Next, the good news for the right to private property. Proposition 21 sought to expand local government's authority to enact rent control on residential property. That coercion would have trampled private owners' rights to their rental properties. Now, the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution states, an individual shall not be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. If it had been approved, Prop 21 would have amounted to a taking that required just compensation. If the state government was going to mandate rent control, it should have proposed to reimburse property owners for their financial losses. But it didn't. In their wisdom, though, California voters rejected this proposition. 
Then there's the right against all discrimination. Proposition 16 was deceptively titled and described on the November ballot, stating it would have allowed diversity as a factor in public employment, education, and contracting decisions. In reality, the proposition would have authorized public employers, educators, and contractors to discriminate and treat people unequally in the name of advantaging others purely on the basis of their race or sex. But the 14th Amendment states in part government may not deny to any person the equal protection of the laws. This means you cannot discriminate against anyone or for anyone. All must be treated equally. And then there's one other legal matter that should be cited here, and that is related to California's Constitution. During the pandemic, Governor Gavin Newsom has unilaterally locked down literally anything he wishes, whenever he wishes, and for however long he wishes. For this, he was sued for exceeding his authority. The judge of the state superior court in Sutter County ruled on November 2nd that the governor unconstitutionally exercised legislative powers by unilaterally amending, altering, or changing existing statutory law or making new statutory law. And the judge added that the governor's executive order improperly amended existing statutory law, exceeding the governor's authority and violating the separation of powers. So California State University students are now mandated to take a course on ethnic studies. Maybe instead that course should be on the U.S. Constitution so they could fend against bad government proposals. Again, this is from Ronald Trowbridge. He's a policy fellow at the Independent Institute in Oakland, California. I'm happy to hear even, you know, small victories here and there. Sometimes it's discouraging and sometimes it's easy to get the impression we're losing. You know, people just don't love liberty. People are are scared. People are running as a herd. More people are embracing collectivism and, and turning loose of the idea that the rights of the individual need to be protected. In general, I would say, yeah, that's pretty descriptive. That pretty much sums it up. But take the good where you can find it. There clearly are some people who still recognize right and wrong have not given way to simple, pure political pragmatism. And thank heavens for those who understand this difference, and thank heavens for those who are willing to stand up, use their vote wisely, or otherwise refuse to play into these collectivist schemes. Okay, check it all out in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. If you like what you hear, if you like what you find, think about sharing it with a friend, because that's how we grow this program. This is The Brian Hyde Show.